I left and had an opportunity in Palm Bay to work with another attorney for about 10 months. It didn't, it didn't work out. And I remember coming home and telling my wife at the time, I said, I think I'm going to leave and, and open my own shop. We had just taken out a second mortgage. We had a little house in Sun Tree. We took out a second mortgage to build a little a swimming pool. And I, I just, I remember telling her, we've got to put those plans on hold. I may need that second mortgage because I don't know, you know, what my next paycheck is going to come from. And I opened up a little shop in Palm Bay. Never looked back. It was, it, it all happened the way it was supposed to. I was, I rented for about two and a half years, and the next thing I knew, I found myself buying a piece of property. The piece of property where the law office is now on, on uh, Palm Bay Road. When I bought that piece of property, there was nothing west of Babcock Street. I mean, Chili's was on the corner, but there was nothing to the west of Babcock Street. Really? The I-95 interchange wasn't there, and people said, you're nuts. You are crazy <laughs> buying land west of Babcock Street. Uh, but I did it, and you know what's happened there now is yeah, just they're not insane. saying that you're nuts anymore. No, I'm not crazy anymore. Welcome to the Legacy Angel Network Venture Lounge, where nothing ventured is nothing changed. For Matt Hollenthaler, press one. For member services, press two. For real raw startup stories, press three. For all other questions or concerns, please wait on the line in our next. Good evening, everyone. I'm Matt Helmenthaler, and you're listening to Venture Lounge, after-hour conversations with founders and investors. These are the stories, insights, and conversations that you aren't going to find on the company website. Because the real lessons you learn in the startup world, the risk you take as an entrepreneur, the highs and the lows, the moments in your journey when no one else believes in you right before you break through, those are the moments that you just have to hear for yourself. So grab a drink and listen in to the men and women who are changing the world. Welcome to the Venture Lounge. Welcome yep. back to Venture Lounge, everybody. Nothing venture, nothing changed. I'm Connor Sherman, creative director here at Legacy Angel Network, and I'm joined today by our founder and co-host, Matt Helmantaller. What's up, my man? Hola, cheers. Uh, how you doing, man? Good. Who's on the couch with us? Um, well, uh, see, look, I should have turned my phone off. I'm going to take this watch Brilliant off because then I won't, you know, that's, 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 yep. You know, I almost wore my other watch today because I was like, yeah, I, I might get a call during the, and I, yeah. And that's, you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was my accountant too. She's going to hate that I just put her to voicemail. So, um, yeah. So, um, to my right here is, uh, is my dear friend, John Alpazar. Um, John Alpazar and I, uh, we, so we go a few years back in the way of like actually meeting each other and, and all that fun, uh, fun stuff. Um, but, uh, I grew up with his son, David. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, we weren't like in Pampers together, but, uh, you know, elementary school, junior high, high school, all that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, we were kind of some rugrats together and, um, but uh, John, I want to I talk about him a little bit. Um, he's got a great reputation in our community. Um, as our followers, listeners, everyone that watches this knows, um, we like bringing in people who have like legacy value, who, like, who have brought something to uh, their community, a community, um, where they've thought, you know, what am I leaving behind? You know, what am I, you know, what am I? And this guy has, uh, 
this guy has just kind of walked that out privately and publicly. So I want to read some stuff. I stole this from the guys uh, that the, from the JA thing. I said I, I need you to send me that. <laughs> so I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read some of this because um, I just think I should. So and, and welcome, John. Nice to meet you. Thank man, you so much. Yeah. yeah. Nice meeting you. All right. So John is an attorney and member at, of Alpazar Law, which you founded. That's true. Yeah. Um, uh, in Palm Bay, Florida, um, he's practiced law in Central Florida for 44 years with a focus on Brevard, Indian River, St. Lucie. Orange counties. John has uh, uh, had an, an excess of 150 million dollar plus settlements and verdicts, and is a member of the multi-million dollar advocate forum. Uh, born in Key West, Florida, um, his parents uh, were immigrants from Cuba. Um, John went and got his BA uh, from Bethany uh, College in West Virginia in 1975 with honors and distinction and his JD from Capital University Law School in Columbus, Ohio in 1978. See, look at that, Ohio. You guys have the Ohio connection. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. Um, He's a member of the Florida Bar uh, since 1978 till present, and the U.S. District Court, Middle District uh, of uh, Florida, U.S. Court of Appeals, 11th Circuit, and the Brevard Bar Association. Past president of Brevard Bar Association, John has served on the Florida Bar Board of Governors representing the 18th Judicial Circuit from 2012 to 2018 and as the past president of Central Florida Chapter of the American Board of Trial Advocacy, ABOTA. John was the founding director of the Security National Bank and served as the director of Florida Business. It just goes on. Um, the dude has just like done so many freaking cool ventures in his life. And another thing that he started was um, a, uh, a turkey giveaway. He's been doing that for what, the last... 10 years? 10, almost 10 years. Almost uh, 10 Until years. COVID, and then yeah. we got interrupted. But Yeah, there's a, there, there's a uh, over in, in, uh, in, in uh, Palm Bay, um, he, he gives out these turkeys every year, hundreds of turkeys to, um, to families that need a uh, Thanksgiving meal. And uh, so, but they've been serving this community for so many freaking great years, and he's an awesome guy. So I thought this is, would be a great guy to come and to chill with us at the Venture Lounge. Well, cheers, John. Thank you. With that introduction, I'm a little nervous to be here. <laughs> You're our first lawyer on the podcast. Oh, my fast, God. Fast, <laughs> fastest growing podcast. Maybe the last. Jason podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, no, I think we'll be okay. Well, John, you got to tell us, man, what's made, for you, what's made Brevard the place to stay? I mean, you have some staying power here. You've been in the community for a long time. So why this place? You know, I came here by, uh, I came here not by accident, but um, my wife at the time's parents had retired here. Um, her, my, my ex-wife's uh, father had been in the Navy for 30 years. He retired as a captain, and they retired here to Merritt Island. And I was in law school in Ohio, and after th- uh, four winters in West Virginia and three winters in Ohio, I was ready to come back to Florida since <laughs> I was originally from Florida. And uh, we settled here. Um, this is one of the spots we picked, and I was offered, lucky enough to be offered a job with a really good law firm uh, mm-hmm. in Cocoa. And so that's how, that's how Brevard uh, became home. Uh, I didn't think that I would be here for 44 years, but that's how long it's been at this point. What was it like growing up in Key West? That sounds awesome. <laughs> Everybody says that. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so that. So I definitely have to hear why it is and isn't. Well, <laughs> first you have to understand that 
the Key West I grew up in is a completely different Key West than the, the Key West is it's there now. You know, when I was a kid in Key West growing up, it was fishing, it was beach, it was boating, it was fun and sun, and uh, yeah, there was a tourist trade, but it wasn't a t-shirt shop on every street corner. Right. Um, there weren't cruise ships coming in by the dozen. Um, so it was a much more laid back um, environment, place to grow up. Um, you know, I'd, I'd disappear on my bicycle all day and my parents wouldn't worry about where I was. Um, and I'd come home in time for dinner and I knew when I had to be home and it's not quite that way now. No. Um, but it was a great place to grow up, um, but it was also a very isolated place. And I think like most people, I couldn't wait to get out mm. because I thought there was something better somewhere else. So, so you said, you, your family's from Cuba? Is that what yeah, I thought? My, uh, my, my father, um, my grandfather was from, uh, was from Cuba and he came to the United States uh, in the early 1900s and uh, actually worked for the uh, Cuban consulate office in, in Key West, and he, and he lived in other cities. So he was kind of a pioneer for our family. My father came from Cuba in 1948, and my mother came in 1950, and they were married in Key West in 1950. I always like telling the story when somebody asks me about my parents. Uh, my father landed in Key West with 13 cents in his pocket. And uh, I have a... When he passed away, I had a dear friend that gave me a, a picture of him uh, that's framed with 13 cents on oh, the bottom. Wow, wow. And uh, wow. It, it, it means a lot because uh, it, it reminds me that uh, they came from nothing as I came from nothing. And um, I think that's something that kind of keeps me going. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's powerful. I mean, I mean what, talk about legacy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because, you know, I, I, I thought we were going to do this interview in Spanish because... <laughs> <laughs> do you know, be the only are, one talking? Well, yeah. Are you fluent? Uh, that's my first language. Really? Yeah, okay, when, cool. I, when, I was born, no. uh, when I was born, uh, my folks didn't speak English. So I spoke exclusively Spanish until I started kindergarten. Wow. And, and I learned English in, in kindergarten and, and beyond. So, yeah, I, I speak both languages fluently. Oh, wow. Most people don't know that, but no. no, I I got a sense of it the other night when we were at the JA event, uh, and I'm like, oh, well, of course he does. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that so, makes sense. Should you feel like what uh, kind of um, like culture traditions did your family bring? You don't know, like the your family being from Cuba. I guess what kind of values and things do do you feel like? Uh, like where you're from influenced your family's values, how you looked at the world, how they raised you? Like, Wow. Um, I think, you know, I think the biggest thing when I think back, it, it, it's, taken me, it's taken me a long time to realize this because I get asked a lot of times, you know, why did you leave Key West and what, what prompted you to, to leave and, 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 and go to West Virginia of all places? That's a whole other story. Yeah. But um, I got some family from there. Yeah. Well, it, but it was a dramatic <laughs> thing to go from Key West to West Virginia. Oh, one hundred percent. But I think that I think what I've come to realize as I've gotten older is is that the same 
thing that drove my father to leave his family and leave Cuba and come to another country is probably what drove me to do what I did when I left Key West. Um, I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't know why I wanted to leave so badly. But I think it was the sense of wanting to do better, mm. wanting to be able to accomplish more, mm. uh, wanting to make things better for my family, and trying to, to leave more behind than what I started with. Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest value that I, that I can think of from that whole experience. Uh, mm. You know, aside from the normal things, and my parents were, uh, they didn't have a lot. Uh, you know, my mom worked uh, uh, in a department store for most of the time that I was a, uh, a kid. My father worked two jobs most of the time. He worked in the laundry as a presser, he pr and he pressed at one place during the day, and then he'd go somewhere else and press at night, uh, pressing clothes and big mm -hmm. machines. And um, so I think the sense of hard work, uh, that's another value that I think I got from them. I've never been afraid of hard work. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've tried to convert all that many times without even knowing I was doing it. But that's what I've tried to implement in my life uh, as I've gone through my career. And it's worked. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, when, when you were in the middle of, you know, figuring out kind of like your next steps, you knew that, yeah, man, I want to, I'm here, I'm in Key West. Great. This is, this is awesome. But I want to, I want to, I want to go. I want to, I want to venture out. Um, and what, what made you decide that, yeah, I want to, I'm going to jump into law. Like, was there something like a moment or, or did it just seem to kind of fit with, like, was there like a sense of like justice that you have or was like that, you know, what, what was it in you that drove you toward law um, more than anything else? Actually, it had nothing to do with being a lawyer. Um, I originally wanted to be an FBI agent. Oh, wow. That was, that was what I wanted to do. And, and it came from, I went to Catholic school for mm -hmm. 12 years in Key West. And, um, and when I was in ninth grade, we had a, a, a nun who, before she became a nun, had worked as a fingerprint analyst for the FBI. Wow. And, it's, uh, wow. it's a scary yeah, nun, man. Yeah, it was really scary. <laughs> Sister Richard Lawrence, I'll never forget her. Oh, she, uh, but she, she brought in FBI agents on career day and um, was always talking about her experience before she became a nun. And that stuck with me. Mm. Uh, and at the time, in order to become an FBI agent, you either had to have a law degree or you had to be a CPA. Mm. Every agent had to do It's not that way anymore now. It's a lot easier to become an agent. So when I was first, you know, in, in, enrolled in, in college and thinking about law school, the thought in the back of my head was, well, I'll get my law degree and I'll get to apply to the FBI and go to the FBI Academy. And, and that's what I wanted to do mm. until I got to law school. And then during law school, uh, clerked for a law firm. And that just, that just changed my, my mind completely. Wow. And where at in Ohio again did you? Columbus. Oh, excellent. So you're at Ohio State Law. No, Capital oh, University. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Cap, uh, they, it was interesting. They came to Bethany College when, when I was there and interviewed. And um, um, on the basis of the interview, I think, is why I got admitted. Because uh, mm -hmm. my scores, my grades were awesome, but my scores on the LSATs were not great. And um, 
I tried to get into Florida, and that didn't happen. So Capitol became the spot, and it was great. I got a great legal, legal education. I had great experiences clerking with a law firm there. You know, I was law review. I did all this stuff that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do at a different school. So, Yeah, but my, my uncle went through law at Ohio State, and then my my younger sister is going through law right now. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's at Ohio State field. also? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But Capitol's still very prominent, and Columbus is growing like crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. We used to do a lot of uh, the, the library at Ohio State was much nicer, bigger, mm. and quieter. So I used to sneak over there, and my wife at the time worked at the university. <laughs> That's so cool. I spent a lot of time at that <laughs> yeah. Columbus. Tom, Tom Sherman, does that ring a bell? I don't know if it would have no. been at the same time. No. no. Vern Reif, was he a big name at the time? Familiar? He was clerk of the house. in the. That name sounds familiar. Yeah, he yeah. Was, uh, Anyway, yeah. I just remember all the bars on High Street. Right, right. My, <laughs> uh, my, my uncles do too, I'm sure. Too, too. That's, That's funny. Awesome. Yeah, so, I, I mean, how did that experience develop, John? Uh, from law school, what were your first steps? I know you mentioned West Virginia. What was your, what was your time there like? My time in West Virginia was awesome. I, I think I probably grew up and, and matured in West Virginia. Um, I, um, when I, it was the first time I had gone away from home. I went to West Virginia to this small college. At the time, that, that college was probably at the height of its enrollment, maybe 1,500 students. Oh, wow. Um, and for me, it was great because the, the Catholic high school that I went to in Key West had 300 students from seventh grade to 12th grade. Um, there was a public high school in Key West as well that probably had, I don't know, 1,300, 1,300 kids or more. But um, I was used to that small school atmosphere. So um, Bethany College was, was, was perfect uh, for me. But, but I, I mean, I was like a, I, I was totally out of my element when I went to West Virginia. I'd never lived away from home. I'd never lived away from my parents. I'd never seen snow. In fact, you're going to laugh at this, but when I, I, I transferred into West Virginia to Bethany after one semester at a community college in Key West, which is what I did after high school. I, you know, my parents <clears throat> were not college graduates. In fact, they weren't even high school graduates. No one in my family ever graduated from high school before me. No one in my family ever went to college, and clearly no one ever went to professional school. <clears throat> so I didn't have a lot of guidance at home, not because my parents didn't care or didn't want to, but I just don't think they knew better. Right. And so um, I graduated from high school, and the logical thing was to go to the community college there, and I did for a semester, and it was literally like still being in high school. I mean, we were still doing stupid high school stuff in college, and mm. um, and though I, I go off to West Virginia, and it's time to grow up. Mm. But I, I got sidetracked, uh, as I'm flying into West Virginia, there were three other uh, fellas from Key West that were going to school there. Uh, two of them were playing football and had, had, go- had started there, and one other was transferring in at the same time I was. And as I w- we're on approach into Pittsburgh, which is where you had to land to get to West Virginia, I'm looking out the window, and I'm seeing all this white. And the natural <laughs> thing out of my mouth what to my friends was look at all the sand down there because <laughs> that's all I'd ever seen and they started laughing you know it was, it was a joke but 
it was true. I'd never seen snow, and I landed in Pittsburgh, and there was probably a foot and a half of snow on the ground, and um, and I'm here with leather shoes on, you know, slipping and sliding on the sidewalk, <laughs> and it was a it was That's a cultural weird. experience That's for me. Funny, man. Yeah. How how did you make your way out of law school, John? What did that look like? First uh, first business moves, opportunities that you saw. How'd you make your way? Yeah, I, I I I started to say this before. I grew up as a person, I think, in in college. I, I reached a point where um, my start in college was a little rocky. Uh, my first time away from home was a little rocky. I wasn't doing real well in school, and I remember having a conversation with the dean, who I ended up becoming very very good friends with. And he sat me down in his office one day. He says, John, I, I, I got to tell you, I think we've made a mistake letting you come into Bethany College. You need to, you need to clean up your act or, you know, you, you may not be here next semester. And that scared the hell out of me mm. uh, because I knew that meant going back to Key West. And not that that was the end of the world, but um, I, had, I had been back to Key West enough times in the summer to see what had happened to a lot of the friends that I grew up with. Unfortunately, many of them were in jail. Uh, they got into drug trade and uh, importing, exporting, and uh, I didn't want it. I didn't want that. So um, it scared me, and I um, I got serious about school. I got serious about getting involved in in, in my future. You know, I became uh, chief justice of student court, uh, vice president of fraternity council. I actually got involved and um, started working hard to get good grades. And, and that obviously led to me being able to get into law school. Um, I was focused in law school. I mean, I, I, all I did was work, study, get good grades, work, because I had to, I had needed the income. Yeah. Um, I made it through college with every grant that I could get my hands on, every student loan that I can get my hands on. I didn't really worry about how I was going to pay them back at the time. And now in hindsight, you know, 2% interest rate wasn't so bad. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, and I did the same with, with law school. Um, it just, uh, and at the time I was married, so I had to worry about that. Um, but um, I, I did well in law school and, uh, and got offered originally a clerkship in Cocoa with a firm uh, in the summer between my second and third year of law school. And that's really what, what originally brought me to, to Coco. And after clerking with them for the summer, at the end of the, of the year, at the end of the summer, they offered me a job upon graduation, which I didn't accept originally. I, I was still looking around and interviewing with other law firms, but eventually I accepted that, and that's what actually brought me to, to, to this area. Wow. I, I had to say, I have a lot of respect for the dean that, you know, I don't think I'm overstating when I say this. I don't think I am. I wasn't there, clearly. Uh, I wasn't born yet. Sorry. Didn't mean to point that out. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, uh, in my life, when people have pulled me aside and have, have said those types of things to me, um, looking back, it's because I know that, A, they cared, and, B, they saw something in me. I think that that's pretty cool. I think, in my opinion, I think that that guy, that guy saw some, some uh, something in you. 
Yeah, um, you know, I had to. I've had that experience, unfortunately, more times than I want to remember. <laughs> yep. Where somebody sat me same, down and said here. something. Yeah. Um, the 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 nun that I mentioned before, Sister Richard Lawrence. I remember getting into some trouble when I was in high school, and uh, her taking me for a walk one day and uh, sat me down and 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 I still remember her words. She she said. Uh, you know, you're at a crossroads. See that? See that crack in the sidewalk, and it goes that way, and it goes that way. Mm -hmm. I said, "Yeah." She says, "You're at the, you're at the, right where the crack is, and where the two roads go, and you can choose to go right or you can choose to go left. If you go right, life's going to be really difficult for you. If you go the other way, maybe things will be better." I didn't have a clue what she was talking about <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as you get older and you mature, you think about those events and you go, God, people were really, obviously they, they saw something in me that I didn't see at the yep. time. And they were trying to, to help and guide me along the way. Sometimes I listened, sometimes I didn't. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had listened more now maybe because things would have clicked maybe sooner. Yeah. But it's, you know, you can't go back and change that, so. Yeah, I, I just, I love, like, like, I, like I can think about my own life um, and at the time, again, like you said, you don't always realize what's happening. And then, but you look back and you, and you think about your life and you think about like, you know, what brought you to where you are. And you remember in these moments, these pivotal moments, these pivotal conversations and it, and the things that really help steer you. And, uh, yeah. And then you, you come, you come to appreciate those, those difficult conversations, those moments where someone cared enough to sit down and have the conversation. Yeah, and they took yeah. the time to do it, which yeah. you know, not all of us do all the time. Yeah. Everybody's so busy and life's kind of buzzing by now. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you know, we should all take the time to try to help other people. If we see a problem and we recognize a talent, we ought to do something about it. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah, very mutually beneficial to take that time to like invest in somebody else. Sure. I mean, it usually is. Um, so you mentioned like eventually it like at one point it wasn't clicking yet what your path was in life and profession. So when do you feel like it started to click? Like early days in your career out of law school, uh, can you remember your first um, opportunities, cases, those kind of things? Anything memorable there? Um. What clicked for me, uh, and, and again, I didn't realize it at the time, but in, in looking back, is um, my second year in law school, I was offered a clerking position with a law firm in Columbus. And the firm specialized in personal injury work. They did criminal work and they did personal injury work. I'd never been exposed to that. Um, I knew pretty much immediately that I didn't want to do criminal defense work. It just didn't appeal to me. Uh, but I was intrigued with the personal injury from the start um, because it, it, I was intrigued by the law part of it and I was intrigued by the medicine part of it. Um, and, and doing personal injury work allowed me to not only develop my talent as a lawyer, but it also allowed me to explore the medicine and learn. You know, I'm not a doctor, but I, I understand because of the amount of work that we do involving personal injury, I understand a lot of the, at least the medicine that applies to my area. So that law firm gave me that opportunity. And I think without realizing it at the time, that's in part 
what dictated the kinds of law firms that I eventually started looking at mm -hmm. to try to get a job. And the law firm in Cocoa that I ended up starting with did that. They did personal injury, workers' compensation. They did other things too, but they did that predominantly. And that's what attracted me to them. And after clerking with them for a summer, you know, I knew that's what I wanted to do when I got out. Um, mm. So that's what kind of drove me in the direction that I that I ultimately went. Mm. You know, it's um, um, you know while while you're telling this story, the the, the word that keeps pop, popping up into my into my brain is um, is venture. Like you, you have just ventured your whole life. I mean, you really have. You've taken steps that other people before you. Now, granted. Your parents took those venturing steps, right? That right. kind of like that influenced you, um, and they did something maybe their family had not had not really. And then, and then you, you ventured, um, mm -hmm. and you continued to venture. You go from this state to that state, and you get married, and you you're doing this, and you're like, well, I need to do. And you start to move, and you start to go and move and go, and then you venture over here. You get over here to Cocoa to Cocoa Beach. You start your career. Um, and then at one point you decide, um, I'm going to open my own, my own practice. <laughs> another venture. <laughs> like another Told venture. another story. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like, so, so a kudos, um, for the, you know, the faith and belief in yourself and the, and the, you know, the, and for those that supported you as well. But like, um, what was that like, you know, st stepping from a, a place where you had some structure you had some. You kind of could probably predict a little bit what was going on from day to day, to starting your own thing. Like, what was the the, the transition? The, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in Cocoa. I'm working. Um, was working with three marvelous lawyers, uh, mentors to me. Uh, two of them ended up becoming judges. They're all passed away now, mm -hmm. um, and they were all very active in the bar association. They, two of them had been presidents of the bar association. One of them had been on the Board of Governors of the Florida Bar. So I got a lot of my original or my early um, push to giving back and service to the profession from those guys. Mm -hmm. uh, but things happened very quickly there. I was with them a total of three and a half years. Um, after three years, they offered me a partnership, which was unheard of, you know, because these guys were all well-established, had been in the community for a long time. Um, and um, I accepted it. And once I became a partner and started seeing the books and seeing what was coming in and what was going out and how things were running, I just had a feeling that that wasn't for me, that, that I, I wanted to do something different. Uh, I wasn't sure what that was, but I just didn't feel like, you know, I was in my 20s then, and I didn't, and these guys were maybe in their late 40s. At the time, they, they seemed old to me. They didn't seem that old anymore. <laughs> Is that, but, I think you're in your 20s. Do you look at me and, and see the Ancient, old? ancient, man. Well, well, wait till you get to my age. <laughs> but um, I just, you know, that's, that was the analysis, right or wrong, that I went through was, is that where I want to be when I get to that point? Which, you know, at the time, 20, 25 years in the future seemed like an eternity. Um, yeah. But so I did. And I, I, I left and had an opportunity in Palm Bay to work with another attorney for about 10 months. It didn't, it didn't work out. 
And I remember coming home and telling my wife at the time, I said, I think I'm gonna leave and, and open my own shop. And she kind of looked at me. I mean, we had just taken out a second mortgage. We had a little house in Sun Tree. We took out a second mortgage to build a little a swimming pool. And I, I just, I remember telling her, we've got to put those plans on hold. I may need that second mortgage because I don't know, you know, what my next paycheck is going to come from. And I opened up a little shop in Palm Bay and uh, never looked back. It was, it, it all happened the way it was supposed to. Um, I was, I rented for about two and a half years. And the next thing I knew, I found myself buying a piece of property. Uh, this is funny. I, I, I bought the piece of property where the law office is now on, on uh, Palm Bay Road, uh, west of Babcock Street. Mm -hmm. When I bought that piece of property, there was nothing west of Babcock Street. I mean, Chili's was on the corner, but there was nothing to the west of Babcock Street. Really? The I-95 interchange wasn't there. It was, it was two lanes, not what it is now. Oh, wow. And people said, you're nuts. <laughs> You are crazy <laughs> buying land west of Babcock Street, and I, but I did it, and you know what's happened there now is yeah. They're insane. not saying you're, that you're nuts anymore. No, I'm not crazy anymore. Yeah. But, by the uh, way, beautiful office. Thank you. Like I've I've had the opportunity to be on the right side of sitting in that office, and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's no wrong side so far. There. Okay. All right. Good. There's no wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely exquisite. I mean, just. Beautiful. Thanks. Beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. we, um, you know, that that happened, and the built the office. I think we moved into that building in 1986. You know, and the firm's grown, and I've had lawyers, and lawyers have come, and lawyers have gone. That's um, very common in the law business. It's hard for lawyers to stay together for a variety of reasons. Um, but we we flourished in Palm Bay, and I mean, when I first went to Palm Bay, I think I was. I was the fourth lawyer in Palm Bay. Oh, wow. And that was probably in 1982, 83. Wow. There still aren't really very many lawyers in Palm Bay. Mm. Um, but um, it's been good. It's been good to me. And, and, you know, I've tried to give back to the Palm Bay community yeah. as much as I can because yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's clear and that's obvious. I mean, like, it's, it's um, so we, we raised our kids in Palm Bay. Um, uh, we, we live in Rockledge now, but, but we raised our kids in Palm Bay and, um, my wife grew up in Palm Bay. Like, so there's this one street in Palm Bay school drive. Her papa had, um, uh, essentially, uh, when it, all of his kids were off getting married, he owned all this property. So he would give them each a lot after they got married and he would build help them build a house. On, so she grew up with all of her aunts and uncles and cousins oh, on, this, wow. on this one street in Palm Bay, only about three or four minutes from your office there. And I, I remember talking to Papa Earl while he was still around, and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Alpazar Law has been there for uh, you know years." So, but you've been you've been a staple and kind of a kind of an anchor, I would say, in that community for for I mean for years now. Um, well, you know, it's weird but when I first started in Palm Bay, um, people didn't want. People didn't want to see professionals in Palm Bay. They felt right. like they had to go to Melbourne for everything, yeah. Yeah. for your doctor, your lawyer, your accountant, right. whatever. Right. And and that was a, a battle at the beginning, saying, you know, you can get good, competent everything right here in Palm Bay. You don't yeah. have to go to Melbourne. You don't have yeah. to go to Vero. Yeah. Um, and I think it's better now. I, yeah. I think uh, it, it's uh, things have things have grown. So, yeah, 
Google awesome. said that like 119,000 people. Is it bigger now or is it about, about the size? Do you guys know? Palm Bay? Uh-huh. Palm, Palm. I, I would say it's bigger than that now. Yeah, yeah. I so it's twenty twenty. So. I think. Yeah, so. I would. I would. Yeah, I would, I would think it's definitely bigger than that now. But it's it's the biggest city in Brevard. Landmass wise. Landmass wise. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They. They. Uh. And and they're on the commercial side. It's getting it's getting better than it was. It's starting to get more businesses there. It's starting to kind of grow. And th- these new interchanges too are very help helpful in like bringing in you know you know a lot of stuff like that. So it's well, what's going on? south of Palm Bay now where that new interchange is is insane they're yeah. building I mean hundreds and hundreds of homes down there and yeah. Yeah. Um, at yeah. one time it was you know nothing but swamp I mean yeah. it was it, yeah. it's uh, swamp it still pasture. seems like a long way away you it, know it, it but does I remember see I grew up on Beachside and I remember the first time I went to Palm Bay I went to work with my dad and I was thinking dad this drive is it's a long drive, <laughs> you know, but but I mean it really wasn't. But it but it yeah, it just it seemed yeah, like so far. Yeah, away. I live in Melbourne Beach, and and I've timed the drive to to my. I could be in my office unless the traffic is horrendous coming over the causeway. I'd be in my office in 15, 18 yeah. minutes. Yeah, it's not, it's it's not, not that bad. No, it's not, so no, it's not too bad at all. It's not well, too bad at all. As you've seen the community grow, John, like how have you seen the characteristics change, like? What are you excited? You know, what are you excited about for the future of Palm Bay? What are the problems? You know, what I mean, do you have a sense of uh, what you'd like the future of it to be? You know, yeah, I, I think I think growth is inevitable, mm. and and growth is good, and I and I've definitely seen a significant amount of growth since I've been here since 1978, um, but there's still a a uh, family-oriented, valued um, sense uh, in this community that I hope is never lost. Mm-hmm. You know, when you—I mean, I spent a lot of time in Dade County. You know, I've—and I—it's I, 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 okay to go visit Miami, but I wouldn't want to live there. I say that yeah. all the time. Yeah. But it's different here. Yeah. I mean, I. Um, you know, I raised four kids here. I'm fortunate enough that all of them have done well. They all went to college. Uh, two of them went to law school. Another one had his, his master's. Oh, wow. And, um, and two of them are practicing law with me, which I would have never dreamed of. But um, And now at least two of them live in this community, and they're raising their families here. And um, it's just a nice place to live. Um, and I hope that never changes. I hope that we can still keep that small town atmosphere mm-hmm. while at the same time we have to embrace growth because yeah. it's it's good for the community that it grows and you know we have a vibrant space program again here. We have a lot of startups as you know that are doing very well here. We have a lot of big companies like Harris Corporation and um, a number of others that uh, a couple that I wish would do better, but <laughs> but different uh, podcast, yeah, different yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but you know it's uh, it's just a great place to to live, I think, and a great place to raise a family, oh. and uh, and I hope that never changes. Mm. Yeah, to to your point, um, one of the reasons, not, I mean, I would say it was the it was the staple reason that we started Legacy Angel Network back in in. November of 2017. Uh, it, it's in the title. It's in the. It's in the. It's legacy. We want. We want to create um, a, 
such a strong economic um, uh, uh, impact over the next 10, 15, 20 years in our community that this could be a place where our kids mm-hmm. and our kids, 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 and the kids, kids, kids could, could raise their families, you know? And um, so you, you do have, I agree, you have to embrace, you have to embrace the growth, but, yeah. but keep the, keep, keep the ethics and the morals and the, 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 the culture and the, the things that we've tried to establish here, keep those things present, keep those things alive. Right. Um, and, and I think it was, you know, even as we grow a little bit more and, you know, it takes you five more minutes to get to work because of traffic. Um, um, you could, this community can still feel small. It can oh, yeah. still feel um, uh, like a, a great place to live and, and a great place to raise your family. And, and, and it is. I mean, it's, you know, again, I've, I haven't been here for as long as you. I've been here for about 30-something years. And, um, but I've, I've watched it grow, but it still feels the same. Yeah. It's a very strange thing. I find myself, you know, in, on those rare occasions when I'm coming over the causeway and traffic is backed up to the bridge, I get my, I get irritated. Yeah. And then I go, wait a minute, take a break here. It's yeah. okay. It's going to be an extra five minutes. It's not Miami. It's not Miami. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be an extra hour. It's going to be an extra five minutes. Yep. So, yep. Yep, it's true. Uh, it's you, true. you do have to remind yourself of that every once in a while. You absolutely do. Because we've been spoiled. You know, yeah. we really have. I think this community has, in, in, a, in a large way, I, I, I feel like I've been spoiled by it, you know, for sure. And, uh, you know, but our, like my oldest son, he's a, he's a linguist in the Air Force. Um, he, he couldn't wait to leave. He couldn't wait to get out of here. And he wanted to, you know, his idea was, I want to be in Alaska one day. And da, 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 da. He's been up in Washington, D.C. area doing what he does now and uh, snow and everything else. He's He's over it. <laughs> like, I think, I think <laughs> if he and, and his wife could move down to Florida, they they wouldn't. Have well, I think my kids went through the same thing that I did. I mean, they yeah. they wanted to go, um, yeah. and the fact that, that you know the two of them came back here, and first of all, the two of them went to law school because yeah. I thought the last thing that my kids would ever want after watching me and what I went through, and the hours and the hard work and the times away from family, that they'd want to be in law school and then let alone come back here and practice law with their father. <laughs> I never thought would happen. Well, I want to brag on I want to brag on David for a second. Now, I, I can't. I'm, I'm sure all of your other kids are wonderful. Uh, I've met your uh, Scott. Scott. I've met Scott a couple times. Su- super cool, cool dude. I just don't know him like I know David. David and I were literally in yeah. elementary school together. We grew up and, together. Yeah, and um, David, Jeff Graff. There was a couple of kids in that in, in my in Mrs. Moon's class yeah. that um, you just knew were going to like do something. You just knew it. I knew it. I looked at them. and I was like, "Yeah, man, these guys are really smart. <laughs> they're and they're nice, you know. It, you know, it, it, and it's and it was yeah. So it was it was. Um, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that he followed in your footsteps. It doesn't surprise me at all. A he he's a brilliant guy, but he's a highly ethical guy. Um, but I remember he used to talk about you at school, which I always found fascinating. Um, <laughs> I'm scared to know what no, he, no, no, what he no. had to it say. Was always, no, it was always it was always cool. But he would talk about his dad, you know. So it was it was, you know, um, it, from this side of the cat, of of the sofa, it, it doesn't it doesn't shock me at all that he he went into that. You you like your parents kind of laid this really kind of groundwork for him and you probably did not pressure him to do anything he just he watched it and he said yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna venture out i'm gonna do so he he goes and he 
and he's worked his ass off. He has he's earned it. You know, it's not like it's not like he was. No, no, he's, he's worked hard. He's um, it's um, I don't know how much time we have, but you know, he he was he finished law school and um, he didn't want to come back to Brevard. But he, he wanted to leave the Miami. He went to law school at St. Thomas in Miami. He didn't want to stay down there either. So um, he was interviewing with law firms in, in, in Orlando. And uh, one of the firms he interviewed with was a defense firm that does the opposite of what I do. And, uh, and I, I had to laugh at the time. I said, it doesn't shock me that David would go work for a law firm that does exactly opposite <laughs> of what I do. <laughs> uh, but the senior partner of the firm and I were good friends. He's, he's from Cuban background as well. Okay. So he called me one day. He goes, hey, John. His name's Raul. He goes, I'm interviewing your boy. I know what's going to happen. He says, I'm, I'm going to offer him a job because he comes from good genes. <laughs> and I'm going to teach him, I'm going to train him, and he's going to leave me and go to work for you. And I said, Raul, there isn't a chance in hell that David's going to come work with me. I just, <laughs> I know my son. He's, he's stubborn, he's hard-headed, he's not going to do it. So is he anything like you? Maybe. <laughs> the correlation there, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess. <laughs> but he hired him, and uh, David was with him, I don't know, about three years. And uh, he call, David calls me one day, he goes, hey, Dad, I need to talk to you. I said, what's up? He goes, can we meet? <laughs> I went, uh-oh. So I went over to Orlando, and he said, uh, I, um, I want to come, I think I want to come work. I think I want to move back to Brevard. I said, awesome, man. I think it would be great. You know, he was getting, thinking about getting married. Mm -hmm. I said, I think it would be great. What can I do to help you get a job? And he goes, no, I, I want to come work with you. Whoa. And I was like, you want to come work with me? And I said, why? He goes, well, I've been interviewing with other lawyers, and, and every time I talk to somebody, they, t they tell me that I'm insane if I don't go work with you. Wow. And I, I, I spent two months trying to talk him out of it. Wow. I said, because, you know, I said, look, my relationship with you as my son is much more important than anything else. And the last thing I would want is for you to come work with me and I tell you to do something or how to do something and you and I get into an argument. That's not going to happen. If you come work for me, it's my way or the highway. And I, I don't I don't want to be put in a position where that happens because yeah. you're my son. I, you know, it's not like I, I've had partners come and go, lawyers come and go. And you get over that, but you can't get over, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your son doing yeah. it. And uh, his comeback was, does that mean I can't ever disagree with you? I said, no, you can disagree with me all you want, but in the end, your disagreement may not matter. It's going to have to be the way I say it is because I'm the one that built this, and, and you're just going to have to accept that. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you can be the decision maker, which is where he's at now. He's making more of the decisions in the firm. Um, but that's how it all started, and he came aboard, and you know we've never looked back. And mm -hmm. then the same, you know, it was like with Scott, it was almost the same thing again. You know, Scott, uh, he was my prodigy child. He, he graduated from Holy Trinity. He got offered an opportunity to go to Harvard. He went there to play football. He hurt himself, and uh, after graduating from Harvard, he went to Florida State and got his MBA. And he went to work for a Fortune 500 company in Jacksonville, was doing great. And he calls me one day, he says, Dad, I'm going to go to law school. I go, 
you got to be kidding me. You're making good money. you got a great job. He goes, I want to go to law school. So he goes to law school, and we go through the same cycle with him. He wants to get a clerkship. He's going to law school at FIU in Miami, and he says, I need some help clerking with a law firm. I got him a job with one of the best personal injury lawyers in Miami that I happen to know. And they offer him a job immediately. And I tell him, take it. Stay there. Take it. Work for that guy. He's awesome. He goes, no, I want to come back and work with you and David. And I did the same thing. I spent months, months trying to talk him out of it. <laughs> and now he's a partner. And, and uh, you know, the two of them are pretty much running the firm. I'm just well, along man, for the ride. Well, two, two things. Two things. One, I would not want to run into Scott in a dark alley. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, if I was, yeah, no, it's pretty tough. He's not. He's not six nine, but he's six four. He's, he's six four, but he he give you a run for your money. Um, <laughs> he commands uh, presence. He, he was does. a lineman, so he was, oh, wow. he was yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the first thing. But the second thing, as a dad, you know, I, I have three kids. Um, you know, as a dad, that's got to, that's got to feel good that all these years later, your boys, they just want to come and be with dad. Yeah. And no, that's, that, that's pretty, that's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And, yeah. and, and not something that I ever planned, imagined, thought yeah. would ever happen. I that's mean, cool. that was never even in the cards for me. And, uh, you know, and I don't want, I, I'm, I'm talking about those two a lot. I have another son and a daughter that are phenomenal in their own rights and you know my daughter has three beautiful children and mm. and she lives in West Virginia um, she actually oh, lives wow. right next door to her mother and helps her with the bed and breakfast that oh, cool. my ex-wife owns in in West Virginia and then my other son is in Raleigh Durham and he's married a wonderful girl and he, he went to Auburn Jamie my daughter went to Stetson and graduated Brian went to Auburn both awesome uh, Yeah, and um, and he's got a great job in Raleigh-Durham, and they're all coming in, by the way, for the JA event uh, nice. next weekend, so I'm really Very excited. Cool. I, I've actually I have, I've never met your other two kids, so I hope I, I get to meet them. Yeah, they'll yeah. be here. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, John's being um, um, honored at the Junior Achievement uh, Banquet. Uh, oh, it's a, awesome. It's a Hall of Fame. He's He's been inducted into the, the JA Hall of Fame. Congrats, man. Very yeah. cool. It's really, really Humbling cool. and uh, very unexpected. And uh, I've had to really wrap my hands around what all that means. But uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So Matt was mentioning your service to the community and everything, man. What uh, – what did that development look like as far as how you decided uh, on how your career would impact the people around you? And on that note, too, do you guys want some more coffee? It would be great. Yeah. yeah. So, so you can keep answering those questions. Yeah. yeah okay. Good. I, will, I will make some more coffee. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. It's too early for the real cocktail, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, were there specific things that – you identified in the community that you uh, wanted to help with was that on organic development or how do you decide to kind of yeah, get back? Yeah, uh, I think it was. I think it was just developed. I, I don't know that I ever had my sights set on anything in particular. You know, I got very active in the bar association from an early age. I think, as in part and parcel because of the original lawyers I started with, two of them have been president of the bar association, and you know they were very active in, in the legal community. And it just seemed like, well, that's what I need to do. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm going to be successful and I want to uh, go places in, in this town, 
I need to get active. I need to get on the board of directors of the bar. I need to move up along the line, a chain, and and so that started. Um, but you know, I reached the point in, in my career where everything I was doing was law related, mm. and I really wanted to do some other things. And well. as an example, I, I had an opportunity to be a founding director of a bank. I thought that would be kind of interesting, so I did that. And then another startup bank came along, and I was asked to be on the board of directors of that. And I thought, well, I, I got some experience from the first time. Let me do it again. Um, but, you know, I've done so many, I've been involved in so many organizations um, in the community in, in the 44 years I've been here. Um, some of them stand out. You know, I've, I've been very active with candle lighters. Uh, just because I believe in the cause, and I think it, it, it's a great organization that that helps families with um, probably the worst thing to go through, which is a child developing cancer. Wow. And yeah. um, and and so I, you know I've been fairly active uh, in that group. Um, at one point in time, the the bar association has something called the the bar foundation. And what the Bar Foundation basically does is it uh, it, it, it tries to raise money uh, and then make funds available to groups that need assistance. Mm. Um, so I remember getting a phone call. It was one December, and the firm had had a pretty good year that year. And the lawyer that called me says, "Hey, you know, would you would you consider making a substantial contribution to the Bar Foundation?" And I remember it because he tells this story all the time. I remember <laughs> telling him, you caught me on a good day. Because it was the end of the year. The firm had had a really good year. And I said to him, not only am I going to make a substantial contribution, but I want to create an endowment. Mm. And, and I went ahead and did that. I created the O. John Alpazar Endowment for the Brevard Bar Foundation. Mm. Um, and I kind of seeded it with money and then got a bunch of other people to contribute to it. And the goal was to try to get to the point where we had enough money in the foundation that the foundation would be self-sufficient and we could use the interest and the growth from the foundation to donate. And it, we've accomplished that. We've raised enough money to make the, wow. the, the foundation uh, self-sufficient. And, you know, any group that needs funds can petition on a monthly basis to the Bar Foundation. They haven't made it. I have nothing to do with the decision-making, I don't listen to it, I'm not involved. And I, I did that by choice because I didn't want anyone to think that, you know, I had preferences right, on right. who got money. And so um, it's, it's, it's doing well, and, and that's, that's, that's been a big, a big... Incredible. Incredible thing big to do. Big part of, like, your fulfillment in yeah. your career. Yeah. yeah. And then just to uh, touch again on, you know, um, your... your sons becoming part of the business what was that dynamic like initially i mean it seems like you guys figured it out right but the the family business dynamic were there like hurdles there and what you know it was, it's it was really funny we david and i as much as i was worried about what could happen mm. you know for the most part i think david and i have been together now practicing law for about 18 years wow um, and um, close to that, 17 maybe. Um, I, it was a really smooth transition. Um, we we haven't really had any disagreements. We have, you know, there, you always disagree about 
something, but it's been nothing major. Yeah. Um, he became a partner, and then uh, just last year, Scott became a partner, um, or an equity member, I guess you call it. And um, it's really been fairly smooth. I'm, I'm awesome, shocked. <laughs> well, it's probably just a lot of mutual respect on his part, too. It's like uh, just being in situations like that with your family. I don't know. It probably, uh, like... Uh, respect and understanding for each other and the weight of the situation kind of kind of clicks in. Yeah. Is that you feel it's that way? Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think... Um, you become like a team. Yeah, you know? we have been a team. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that, I've always preached that in the firm, even when I had other lawyers and with clients, is, you know, when you come to Alpazar Law, um, it's you're not coming there for one lawyer. You may come there because, you know, someone referred you to me or David or Scott... But it's a team approach, and uh, and I think that's the best way to represent clients. Um, so that's what Thanks, we try man. to Appreciate do. It. John, what do you do for fun, man? You out on the green or at the beach or what's your uh, fun? You... I mean, there's nothing. There's no time for fun. <laughs> Is all of this fun too? You know, your career. Do you? Do no, you I do a lot. Of, I, no, I, I'm kidding. I do a lot of things for fun. I. Um, um, I had a, a place in the Bahamas for years until Hurricane Dorian came along, oh, wow. and I loved to fish. So um, my current wife and I both love boating and fishing, and, and we, we did a lot of that and, until the, the hurricane came along and had other ideas. But um, So I, I try to fish a lot. Um, we uh, were wine collectors. Oh, we, cool, we, we collect uh, We collect wine. Um, I... Well, do you have any recommendations there, man? I mean, my palate's pretty unsophisticated. I'd love to know what I was doing, you know. So what's that? What, give us a crash course, John. On you know wine? I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a cab lover. Okay. I, um, I like I actually like California cabs. Um, there's so many. I mean, we could spend hours talking about wine. <laughs> um, wine podcast. Yeah. That might be a real education. Absolutely. I have to get... I, my favorite wine? Oh God, there's, there, I don't know that I have a favorite wine. Um, What's your daily go-to, or like a weekly go-to? Just your go-to. Wait, daily? You think I drink every day? <laughs> I mean, we're drinking it? right now. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that like that's something metabolically that's good for you, yeah. right? Like a yeah. glass of wine. Suppose a one yeah. glass of wine is yeah. good. Two bottles a night—that's a different story. <laughs> Uh, that's unfortunately what happens is you open a bottle and you're going to have a glass and the next thing you know, you've had a bottle. So, yeah, that's true. Um, it's very true. But we, um, my wife and I drink a lot of cabs. Um, oh, we have several that we like. Um, we discovered recently on a trip to, to, to Napa with some friends that are big, they're big wine snobs more than, than I am. <laughs> but I learn a lot from them. That's great. And we went to this, um, small small winery called Tres Perlas in Spanish it means three pearls and uh, it was an interesting experience because the founder of the of the winery was from Mexico and when he came to Napa he bought up this really nice I mean he worked in the fields and you know it was a, a success story which I love and um and he started this winery, and they, they export most of their wine, and they only make a certain amount of wine. But as I recall the story, the founder, before he came, was a barber. And they have a particular wine called The Barber. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very hard to get. Um, it's, it, it's, it's like I, the I join, the I join their world. club, <laughs> and that's the only way that I that I can get it. I don't think you can find their their stuff oh, in, wow. a, in a retail store. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, I got an email last week. We were actually in in Cancun last week, and I got this email from the Desperados people, and they said uh, your allocation's coming up. Would you like to add? Uh, a bottle of the barber and I said how many can I have (laughs) and he said a maximum of three I said well take three of whatever you want out and put three of the barbers in (laughs) that's one of my favorites and that's only become recent Uh, my go-to on a daily basis we get a lot of wine from uh, a winery called Hall H-A-L-L she is super well known in in the wine community um, it's not a, you know, it's not an inexpensive, it's not a $20 bottle of wine, right. but it, it's, uh, we, we're in her club and we get probably two or three cases of her wine a year. Oh, nice. So we, we, that's a, that's a, probably a go-to. Um, we went to another winery when I was out there. I, I'm not going to be able to say this on the podcast. <laughs> no, do it. Because we can always edit it if it's okay. terrible. It's, so it's, it's uh, there's a, there's a, there's a winery out there called. Caldwell, and the founder of the the winery, his name is John Caldwell. But John Caldwell's vocabulary includes the F word in everything he says. <laughs> everything he says. So when you're there, they refer to themselves as John fucking Caldwell. <laughs> And so we went there, and I was like, oh, my God, the glasses say John fucking Caldwell. John, John fucking Caldwell. Amazing, man. Uh, everybody refers to him that way. And, and I'm on the website right now looking yeah, for it. Yeah. And the story is phenomenal because they smuggled um, wine stock root from France in through Canada and brought it in... Uh, you know, there was a terrible disease that, that wiped out a lot of the old uh, vineyards. Hmm. I forget what it's called. Um, but they, they smuggled the stuff into California through Canada. And so a lot of their rootstock is old, the real stuff. Oh, wow. That, that survived that disease. And um, I forget the numbers now, but they bought all this land for nothing. And they own all this acreage. And when we were out there, they told us what the acreage was worth now. And I mean, it's just millions and millions and millions of dollars. But that that's a that's a favorite of mine, John Caldwell. Yeah. John, uh, John fucking Caldwell. Yeah, John fucking Caldwell. <laughs> the, the website says one of the most diverse and influential vineyards in America with 23, 28 grape varieties and a portfolio of 23 estate wines crafted by a smuggler, a master uh, cooper. Is that what? Master Cooper and one of the most talented winemakers of our time. That's wow. I, I would be curious. Um, it, I mean, this is just with all the spare time you have on your hands. Yeah, I would love. I would love to. I've never been out to Napa. Oh, my wife and I love California. Uh, we've been. You know, we've been up in the when my son was in linguist. Her, the linguist school. We were in Monterey. We always flew into San Francisco, went and did Big Sur, went and did like all those, you know, out that way. Uh, but I've, I've never been to Napa. 
um, we've always wanted to do a little wine tour out there. So I'd love it's, to get your, oh, your suggestions. I'm, I can yeah. give you some great places to go to for my wife's birthday four, five years ago. Five years ago, we rented a house and had all these friends come um, till we filled the house. And we did nothing but wine tours. And nice. we had a we had a chef come in and do a wine dinner one night. And nice. I love Napa. It's uh, cool. the weather's beautiful. The, if you like wine. Yeah. Um, it, it's a great place to go. Yeah, I can give you some great, uh, yeah, great I'll, places to I'll, go. I'm, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. Um, I was, I, I'm, I'm just curious, and this is just more the 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 goofy, the goofy child in me. But uh, what what's one of the craziest stories that you're allowed to talk? I don't know if you're, well, you're allowed to say, not allowed to say. I'm not an attorney. But what's one of the craziest stories, little things that's ever happened to you in your career that's just like, holy crap, this that was out of left field. This is nuts. This is. Like, do you have any like fun stories that are that were just like uh, you've probably seen a lot of stuff. Yeah, man. I most mean, memorable. I mean, some some of your most memorable. It could be you know uh, top ten, top five, whatever. But like. Um, when you're asking me most memorable, you mean cases that I've handled or people yeah, I've represented? I mean, yeah, cases, and it could be it could be insane on the funny side. It, I mean, that's really what I was going for. But, it, but, but unfortunately, yeah. most of the most of the, my memorable experiences with cases I've handled are tragic because okay. mm. they involve uh, yeah. you know the terrible yeah. situations right. um, with um, with terrible things happening to people. The first big case, which is obviously memorable, uh, the first big, big case that I handled um, very early in my career in the mid-80s um, involved a couple that was, they had, he had just retired, they had just retired, and they were visiting here um, and staying at a, at a, Make sure that I'm not violating any confidentiality if I mention the name. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these settlements have confidentiality yeah. provisions mm -hmm. that I have to worry about. But anyway, they were staying at a local resort place over on the beach mm -hmm. that was a big place for campers and people to, to come along. <clears throat> and they were, they were walking in daylight um, along the edge of the road. They were staying there. And a young man in a backhoe backed over the two of them. Oh my God! And uh, severely injured uh, him, and unfortunately killed her. Oh. And um, and I was really young when this case was referred to me by a local attorney, and um, I worked my tail off on that case, and ultimately was was able to settle it. And I think the settlement amount was confidential, so I can't say. But it was a lot of money at the time. Um, but I got very close to, to him mm. because he lived and he lived in, uh, Detroit and I had to, and he was treating cause he had a brain injury oh my and I had to go up there several times. Mm. Um, so th th that, that was probably one of the most memorable because it was the first major settlement that I had. The second case that really jumps out at me, um, was a case, the first big trial that I had, and this jumps out at me for a couple of reasons. Hopefully, I, I can tell you all of them because there's nothing confidential about this one. <laughs> um, this case involved a, a fellow that was coming over the causeway, the Melbourne Causeway, driving a wrecker. Mm. Which is? He, a, a, a wrecker, you know, a, a tow truck. 
Oh, okay. I'll call it a wrecker. Tow truck. Come on. I'm not familiar he's, with the language. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what a wrecker is. I know. Right? Okay. It's a tow truck. I have gray hair. So yeah. He's coming. Yeah, you do. Uh, he's coming across the causeway in the, at night, and as he's uh, he's heading west, and as he's coming up the causeway, he sees a bunch of smoke uh, ahead of him, and immediately realizes that there's been an accident, and there's a car on its side at the top of the causeway. So he pulls his tow truck over, turns on the lights, runs over. There's still someone in the car, and it looks like the car may be getting ready to catch on fire because there's smoke coming from the from the uh, engine compartment. So he goes back to his uh, uh, tow truck and gets a fire extinguisher, and he he's you know he's hosing down the car with the fire extinguisher. Along comes a, a someone else up the causeway, heading west, and decides not to stop. Just barrels into the into the smoke-filled area, oh, hitting hitting the, my client at the time. And uh, the impact was so bad that um, they found one of his boots on the opposite side of the causeway. Oh, my God. Just to give you some idea of the magnitude. Wow. And the person driving the car was under the influence and attempted to flee the... Um, attempted to flee the scene on foot because he couldn't he couldn't get anywhere so legally it presented some real interesting issues because um the car that started all of this uh and had flipped over actually i i, I just got that wrong the car that started it all was the fellow that was under the influence. Mm. And he's the one that got out of the car and tried to flee. The car that came up the causeway was driven by a lady who decided for whatever reason, you know, she didn't want to stop. I don't know if she was in a hurry or what was going on, but she's the one that hit my client. So we sued the, the original car that flipped mm. that started all of this because that was really the car that, that caused all of this the, to start. The chain reaction. Right. Started, yeah. But we also sued the lady that came along that didn't didn't have enough sense to stop when she saw flashing lights and smoke and Man, whatever. I know. Yeah. So um, the case went to trial. We we couldn't settle. It so happened that the car that started all of this was a rental car. Um, so there was unlimited insurance coverage available wow. under that car. The lady that came up the causeway that actually hit my client only had a small ten thousand dollar policy. So we we ended up you know filing suit against both because we couldn't settle the the lady that hit us her insurance company wanted to pay their ten thousand dollars but you know for a number of technical reasons we couldn't accept that so the case went to trial it was a, my first major trial and uh, it ended up in a I, I don't know, one and a half or almost two million dollar verdict. Uh, so it was the first major verdict that I received. It was also in the 80s, late 80s. Wow. But a couple of funny things happened uh, during that trial, which for me as a young lawyer was, were, were kind of frightening. Um, the first thing that happened was that there was an insurance adjuster sitting in the audience of the trial as the trial was going on. And the trial was going pretty well, I thought. Um, and it, we, we got to Friday. Uh, we, we couldn't get the case finished and it was going to go over to the next week. And we got to Friday, and the insurance adjuster grabs me. Uh, it was at the end of the day, and he said, uh, Mr. Alpazar, I'm so-and-so. I said, yeah, I know who you are. 
And he goes, I've got the checkbook with me, and um, I'm prepared to write you, your client, a check today. But if I don't write this check today, the checkbook's getting on an airplane with me today, and it's leaving, and it won't be back. Look at that. And I said, okay, uh, you know, I, as a lawyer, I have an obligation. To Is that legal to approach you yeah, like yeah. that? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no problem with an insurance adjuster approaching me. Um, I, I probably couldn't approach him mm. because if he's represented by counsel, I have to go through the lawyer. Mm. <clears throat> but obviously he had gotten permission from his lawyer to talk to me. So he approaches me and he tells me, I said, well, I got to tell my client what the check is. So let's not talk in hypotheticals. What are you telling me? He goes, I'm ready to write a check for hundred for $500,000. I said, okay. So I went to my client and, you know, I did what I had to do. And he said, no, I'm not going to accept it. I said, you're sure? And he goes, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm positive. I want, let's, let's, let the jury decide. So I went, I went back to the adjuster and I said, have a good trip. Take your checkbook with you. We're not going to take it. He kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? I went, I said, you know, my client's decided not to do it. Let's just wait and see what the jury does. And, you know, as fate would have it, um, the verdict came back, you know, three times what he had offered. Um, so he had much bigger check. Much bigger check, yeah. <laughs> he had to write in the end a much bigger check, yeah, which he did. Um, uh, the other thing that happened during that case, which was funny, it was we, I was trying it in the, at the Melbourne Courthouse. You don't try cases there anymore. It's, it was, you know, back then in this community, we had three courthouses, one in Melbourne, one in Rockledge, one in Titusville. They were all small, and you tried cases everywhere. Now everything's in Vieira and Titusville. But um, I had a doctor on the stand who was doing a phenomenal job uh, just really good job describing the injuries, and it's someone that I know very well. And we're on a break, and uh, we're standing outside, and the community, the Melbourne Courthouse was so small that they had to bring the jury out, and as the jury, they had to file past the lawyers, and we had to kind of back up against the wall and let them go by, and, you know, you can't talk to the jurors and can't have eye contact with them. It's a, you know, you got to avoid every appearance of impropriety. But I'm, so I'm standing against the wall, and the jurors are filing by me, and, and I hear the last juror say to the juror in front of him, boy, if I'm ever hurt, that's the guy I want taking care of me. <laughs> so yes. I, I knew we were in, I knew we were in, yes. in good shape. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun experience. Damn it, yeah, give away. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, th that's got to be really rewarding. I mean, I think that, I think that, um, you know, it's, it, it, so whenever anyone has ever asked me, hey, man, I got this thing going on, and it relates to what you guys do, I always say, yeah, you need to look, you need to look up Albazar Al Law and stuff like that. But it's, it's not just because of my connection with David. It's because of the reputation you guys have in the, in, in the, in the community. Um, and, you know, so, but, but that's got to feel really good. You know, when you're able to, you see an injustice, you see something bad happen to a person, and you're able to, to on the other side of that, um, bring them some comfort and bring them some help. And it's, it's I mean, that's got to be a super rewarding thing. It is. You know, our slogan has been, as you probably know for years, you know, Alpha's our law, we're here for you. Yep. Um, and we and we believe that. We, yep. we, we try to treat every client as, as family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to make every every relationship personal, 
because we're we're representing people in their worst times, man. They're going yep. I mean, to the death. They've lost a child. Uh, mm. You know, I'm handling a case, one of the cases of the, one of the two girls that was killed right here in Melbourne, yeah. um, just around the corner from where we're sitting. Um, I, I mean, uh, we 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 spend time with people at their worst time, and uh, you know, one of the worst cases I remember handling uh, involved a, a death on I-95. This I have to be very careful with because there, there's lots of confidentiality associated mm -hmm. with this. But um, it was a, a gentleman on his way to work was rear-ended by a massive truck. Mm -hmm. And I can't even begin to tell you all the things that the trucking company and the truck driver had done wrong. And what made the case even worse is that this, this gentleman's son was following him mm -hmm. when it happened. And so he, he essentially witnessed the whole thing and had to go and identify his dad. Oh, and he, he passed and left a wife and three children. Um, and so, you know, these are the kind of people that we're, we're helping or trying to help at the worst time in their lives. Yeah. And so it is really gratifying when you can bring something like that to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. I don't think we probably are here to talk politics, but the last two days have been probably two of the worst days in, in my professional career because we've had a major, major bill debated in the, in the Senate mm -hmm. of the state of Florida that is going to terribly impact victims of personal injury in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. And it has passed. It passed yesterday by yes. a majority vote, and it's going to the governor for signature. Uh, the bill is devastating. And... Uh, it, it's 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 sad to see how it's been ramrodded through the House and the Senate, essentially by the governor, and has now become law. And it's going to dramatically impact the rights of people in the state of Florida. Um, so the climate's getting ready to change, and it's not it's not going to benefit injured people. It's going to benefit corporate insurance companies and yeah. and that's, that's what we face ourselves all the mm -hmm. time is battling these these um, major interests and obviously they have more money than we do right. but uh, you know I, I think uh, with all the bad stuff you hear about personal injury lawyers and you know advertisers and the advertising lawyers and, and I'll be the first to, to agree that there's way too much of that going on but the courts have ruled that lawyers can advertise and that it's a matter of free speech um, but, you know, we as personal, and I say we, us on the personal injury side, we help to level the playing field. Right. Um, and and that's, that's gratifying for me to be able to do. Yeah. Um, and it, it always has been, and we hope to continue to do it even with the, with the recent terrible changes that are going to take place. Yeah. And, 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 and it, it is a shame that that passed. I, I heard about that that going on david and i had a, had a chat about it a couple weeks ago that all that was kind of kind of uh, coming down you know you know it's it, it's one thing about about your profession it's the same thing in my profession it's the same thing um our professions are made up of people and you have people who are ethical people that do it the right way and people that don't the people that don't often give the others a bad a bad rap even before but what i can say uh, John, both from your reputation, from from all who know you, and all the people in this community, as well as what I've noticed over the years, um, that's not 
who John Alpazar is, and it's certainly not who Alpazar Law is. So I, I want to thank you for just the way that you've served our community um, over and over and over again in, uh, in a hundred you know different ways. Oh, and, I appreciate and, uh, that. It's a real honor to you know to to know you, man. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Likewise. Um, yeah. Thank you. Connor, do you have any more questions for this fine young gentleman? Yeah, just to land the plane, man. What's uh, what is your um, like as your do do you feel yourself like uh, winding down as your sons take over uh, the legacy that you built, or what's your next phase look like? What are you excited about um, for the future of <laughs> Alpazar Law, man? My sons uh, refer to me and my status currently as being on senior status. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that, um, I'm not retired and I don't know that I'll ever be retired, but, um, but I am on senior status. I am doing less. Um, I'm, I'm handpicking what I do. Um, and, um, I still have a lot of attorneys that, that refer cases to me and really want me to handle them. And while, you know, Scott and David, and we have another lawyer with us, by the way, that, that she's she's going to be phenomenal, is phenomenal, Alexa. And Alexa is the daughter of Frank Filiberto. I don't know if you know Frank. Yeah, yeah. He's a local physician. Yeah, yeah. He and I have been friends for years, and <clears throat> Alexa's uh, up and coming, and she's going to do super. And, I, and I, you know, the three of them can handle anything. I'm not worried about them. Um but um, yeah, I, I I'm, I'm slowing down a little bit. I'm trying to enjoy life uh, more. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to see friends battling illnesses, and I um, have a good friend right now that that we've been buddies since I got here to this community that is in hospice care right now, oh, and uh, um, another lawyer that, buddy that that. You know, was, was about my age, maybe a couple of years older than me. That just passed this weekend. So I'm sorry. You're hearing, you know, unfortunately, my my parents told me that as you get older, um, part of the part of the bad part of getting old is watching your friends die. Yeah. And uh, but you know, that's life. It's it's what happens. So I'm trying to enjoy life while I'm still in right. good health and yeah. and doing more things and. And that's the plan for right now. Yeah, man. Any any uh, any parting advice for um, so our typical our typical listeners and people that you know um, they're they're doing their own ventures. They're they're kind of going for it in their own life. Any any parting advice for the people that are watching this? Just yeah, um, I say this all the time. You know, I, I used to tell my kids, uh, and I still do every chance I get. Life is but a journey. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, um, but I think your listeners, if they're going into whatever they're going into, that they need to find something they're really passionate about, mm. um, and they need to work their asses off at doing what they love to do. Mm. Uh, and and I've told lawyer after lawyer that's been through our law firm the same thing is don't do what you're doing um, based on financial reward. Mm -hmm. Do what you're doing because it means something, because you love doing it, and because you can do it well. Yeah. And if you do it well, the financial rewards are going to come. Yeah. You know, you can't, 
you can't be motivated by money in whatever you do, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, an Indian chief, you need to be motivated by loving what you do, doing the best job you can, outworking the other side, which is what I've always done. For years, it was funny. I, I would tell people I flew under the radar forever, and I loved it. You know, people underestimated me, but I outworked them. I outprepared them, and when I had to put on the show in the courtroom, I was more prepared, and I did a better job, and we got better results. And I think all that hard work uh, pays off, um, but I think you have to be motivated for the right reasons, and you have to do something you love, and then work hard at it. I mean, that's the best advice I could give. I love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, it's, you know, if you, if you can, if people can separate in their head, not making it about the thing and the reward, but making it about the people, the reward comes. Yeah, whatever yeah. you do. I love I mean, it. it affects everything, I think. Well, John, thank you, man. Cheers to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Man. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, thank John. Thank you, guys. Cheers. John Alpazar, everybody.